Here we are again. Jack Daniels bringing you another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking the Tennessee sensation, the sour mash whiskey. I've had it with me on so many trips, so many duck camps. I talk about how Jack has been a good friend, everything in moderation, never abusing it, but... I love it. I love what they stand for. I love the history. I love the tradition. I love the recipe. I love the people associated with the entire Jack Daniels culture and family. So thank you for being a part of our TV shows and our podcast, Jack Daniels. I'm fired up for today's episode. We're coming at you straight out of Music City, USA, 16th, 17th Avenue. Music Row is what they call it. This is Nashville. This is where the hits come out of. This is where Tootsie's is. This is where Broadway is. This is where my guest today lives now. He was born and raised in the great state of Alabama. And when I heard this dude sing, I was like, good night. I don't know. I mean, he, I can compare him to a few people, but a lot of like guys that I grew up listening to, I think probably influenced this man. I'm going to get into that a little bit today, but he sings a cover version of one of my friend Adam Hood's songs that y'all have heard on our show called Tennessee Will. And I I don't know if I would tell Adam that this man did it better, but he did it just as good. Would that be fair to say to Adam? I don't know if that would piss Adam Hood off or not if if he said that, because Adam Hood's a bad son of a bitch. Am I right? Yes, Charlie sir. Argo, am I right? A hundred percent, man. Charlie, thank you for being here. Thank you, man. Appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, man. I uh I was trying to talk to the sweet tea girls about how to define your music. Like how, what box to put it into? What box would you put it into? Well, if they gave you one, then I'd like to go talk to them because I really don't know. Either, we couldn't come with up you. with one. Man, you know, a lot of people ask me that. And that's a question I think a lot of people get asked here in Nashville is, is you know, what genre are you, especially these days? Because you've got your, you know, your older crowd that's like, well, that ain't country. That ain't this and that. It was like, well, I don't know what I am then. But, you know, I, I like to I like to say that, you know, my roots are, are gospel roots, grew up in the church singing. Um, so, you know, a lot of the, the soulfulness to that, too, and a lot of uh, feeling. Um, but also grew up around the the classic country uh, music and, and the blues music and stuff too. So I like to classify it as Southern soul. That's kind of how I how I how I classify it. So when you when you write or record or perform live, are you putting every ounce of Charlie Argo into that delivery? Hundred every time. Yes. Is that what separates the greats from the going through anything in life, right? I mean, if you do it with passion and love and respect, obviously, but you put that soul into it, you can really hear that in your music when it comes out. And it's almost when I mentioned the song, Tennessee Will, that's a soulful song. Like that soul, that's not just a soul song that hits you in the soul when you hear it. Yes. The the part about Memphis, the, the, the musicians down on Bill Street or whatever Adam was thinking when he was pinning that. Is it easy for you to hear that song and want to cover it, even though you're not a writer on it? Because is it in today's world of music, it seems like I hear that a lot also, Charlie, of, well, if I didn't write it, I mean, a, a lot of people want to sing songs that they're on. There are artists out there that have no problem writing a song that they could have written or they could see themselves writing. Could you have seen yourself write in Tennessee, Will? I could have. And that's that's one of the biggest reasons why I, you know, reached out to Adam in the first place for that. I've known Adam for years and, you know, growing up in Alabama and you, you've always heard Adam Hood's name. Uh, and then I went to school in Tuscaloosa at the university there and Adam, you know, living close by there by Tuscaloosa in Northport. And uh, I just I've always listened to his music. That song has always stuck out to me as one that I'm just like, man, I just I've always wanted to do that song, you know, and. It was it was weird because I never knew exactly what I wanted on it, but I know that I, I wanted to to push a little bit more and put my spin on it. You know, I love his version. Absolutely love his version. It's in my top five favorite songs of all time. Truly wow, is. that's saying a lot. It is. It is. Of Adam but, Hood songs or all songs? Of all songs. Wow, good yeah, for Adam is. then. So I mean, it's always been always been one of my favorite what songs. What makes him so special? Just the way Adam tells a story to me um I, I think adam and what you said earlier about kind of putting in a box i don't think adam sounds like anybody i think adam sounds like adam hood and uh that's that's one of my biggest uh um things that i have to say about him for sure that uh 
he's just he's different. The way he writes, the way he you know delivers is totally different. Um, and I think that you know I have kind of the same qualities as far as the delivery. I've had people tell me you know that you know you just sing that a little bit differently, and and I always thought that was a flaw. To be honest with you, the the way I phrase things or the way I sing things, and especially you know doing cover shows or anything back in the day in uh, college, people would say, hey man, you did that song, but you didn't do it just right something weird about it you know you sang it a little bit different so i always thought that they were you know critiquing me in a in a way that it was flawed but you know i, I found the uh, the beauty in that and i also see the beauty in that when i see other artists do the same thing kind so i want to ask thing. you this before we get into your career and the new album and the new ep and the new songs um I always talk to people on these shows and I don't know how many episodes you've ever listened to, but I always talk about Brent and Adam. I always talk about Brent Cobb yeah. and I always talk about Adam Hood mainly because I feel the world deserves and needs to hear their music, I whether agree. it's the lyric or the presentation. <laughs> I've always thought that of Adam with, with what you're saying about his delivery. I got into Adam after I got into Brent Cobb's career in library and, 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 and what he, his entire catalog is. But I've never heard either one of them deliver a bad song. Like, I can literally listen to their entire catalog. Yep. Is it called a catalog or a library? Catalog. Is it okay to call it a library or is it just a catalog? I've always asked catalog of songs. Catalog. Yeah. I, I, I don't skip one. And, I've, and, I'm, and I'm wondering why more people in the world have not heard their music. And I, and I understand your answer could be, well, with streaming now. But I'm talking about hearing their music these are some badasses, right? Yeah. I'm not trying to take the attention off of anything any other artists have done, but these two are very, very, very special artists. Would you agree with this? I agree with that 100%, and I agree that their chemistry, too, is something that I would almost put on the same lines as you go see brothers or a family perform. You can't recreate that, and I tell people that all the time. You know, you go see two brothers singing and, and their harmonies or this and that or sisters or whatever. You can't recreate that. You can't find that anywhere a lot of times. But I think that they're one of those, those you know, really rare things that when they come together songwriting, they create some magic stuff. So if you had to sit down and ask yourself or tell yourself that you were going to do the same thing with a Brent Cobb song like you did with Adam Hood's Tennessee Will, because you said it a long time ago, I want to do that song. Even though you did put your own spin on it, which is beautiful what you did with it. What song would that be off the top of your head that Brent has? Is there one that comes to mind? Mm. Could you do Shine on Rainy Day and just kill it with it like Brent did? Because that's man, that song's special. That's hard. It, it, Shine on Rainy Day is that I would put that up there. Um, gosh, it's so hard to say that and say, like, could you do it? You know. No, I couldn't, you know, but I, I could do it the way that I do it. And that's kind of how I, I viewed Tennessee Will, you know, I had a buddy of mine, one of my best friends that introduced me to Adam back when we started playing music and stuff back in uh, Tuscaloosa. And he's the one that, you know, started showing me Adam's music and this and that. And, and he even said the same thing. I told him, I said, Hey man, I want to, uh, I want to talk to Adam about cutting that song. He was like, man, you got to put it into it if you're going to cut that song. I mean, that's just a, that's not just asking him. I said, man, I promise you I will. I said, I just want to like, I want to get with him and, and talk about that. But it, it wasn't anything I was trying to take away from Adam or, or anything like that. I just, I love the song, you know? And, and I mean, I couldn't take away from him if I tried, but it's just that, uh, I don't know. I just think I did a, a totally different version of that, but I think Shut On Rainy Day would be. What is it about that song? Does like I almost cry every time. I mean, I have cried listening to it, Charlie. Right. But I almost cry. I cry almost every time I listen to it. And I've heard it thousands of times. Right. I've often told people I can't go to bed at night without hearing at least one Brent Cobb song <laughs> during my day. And that's big time for me yeah. because like that's what his music does to me. But I just always like to run it by other artists like yourselves that because it seems like he's got a huge amount, and so does Adam, of respect in the industry. It's almost like that Jamie Johnson presence where you know, Jamie does have some number ones within color. And, you know, that Lonesome Song is one of the best albums of all time, in my opinion. Um, another Alabama boy. Yep. Um, but as far as the respect he has from Christofferson and Merle before he passed, Waylon, um, Willie, um, uh, who he, he just did... Uh, he, he did Charlie Daniels in the in the volunteer jam every year. He was invited to play in the band the whole time. And George Straits worked with him. It's almost like he's got that respect, right, where the people that get it yep. want him on their team. And it seems to me like that's kind of what people think about Brent Cobb and Adam Hood because they are so have such mad talent. Is that fair to say? Yes. I agree with you on that. 
And I, I, I just have always, always like to ask artists if I'm on, if I'm, if I'm on the same page as them about their talent level, because when I heard you do Tennessee Will, I was like, damn, who is this freaking guy? Like, it was like one of those things where I, and then I started listening to all of your songs on that new album. And I was like, you just get, you have that sound and that delivery that sets you apart from other people. And I just thought it was a cool correlation that you well, chose you, Tennessee that. Will. Cause that's not an easy song. The way no, that Adam not. does that song. Like not at all. when I hear that song, I think of some blues singer and BB Kings on bill street playing that song and Adam delivers it like, wow, that's a little white kid from Alabama. Right. Just hammering it. Would you mind doing that? for us no do you no, have no. i sure will. please i, I got sure it will. i want to hear this one and we'll do one more at the end but this the way you hit this song somewhere yeah i, got I, didn't see right. it. I think there was one on the floor right or something here. somewhere yes sir tennessee will performed by charlie argo written by adam hood blind man on an old upright piano Lady in red on a banjolin Playing songs like old Susanna And getting slower with each gin So catch a ride on a steamboat, baby Take me home with time to kill the Mississippi River don't carry me to you. I know that the Tennessee will. Well, I never did believe in Memphis. It really never was the end of the line. Yeah. So I'm going back home. Alabama mm, yeah. Girl, where my heart's been All the time And I know it should be easy yeah, yeah. But it's hard for me to say goodbye Baby, so I'll Catch a ride on a steamboat Baby Take me home with time to kill The Mississippi River don't carry me to you I know that the Tennessee will Oh, oh yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah And I know it should be easy Yeah, yeah but it's hard for me to say goodbye Baby, so I'll catch a ride on a steamboat, baby Take it home with time to kill The Mississippi River don't carry me to you I know that the Tennessee will, yeah Oh, now now carry me home to my baby Yeah, I wanna go home I know, I know, I know that the Tennessee will. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Thank you, man. Now, when you said that the way that Hood can tell a story, did you move to Nashville, Tennessee from Alabama to be a singer-songwriter? I did. Was it a was it a goal, a dream, and was it something that was you? The sacrifice was there, and you were all in. I was not a songwriter before I moved to Nashville. I moved to Nashville about four and a half years ago. I was playing in the bars uh, in Tuscaloosa around uh, College Town. There, did that for about two years full time, um, and I decided, you know, I was going to pack up. I was going to move to uh, uh, actually move from Tuscaloosa to uh, Columbus, Georgia. Uh, followed a girl there, and uh, ended up, you know, not working out there in a short period of time. About probably three months. I was going through a job training to start a, a full-time job there and I was going to do music on the side. And I said, you know, I've always wanted to move to Nashville. So I packed up all my stuff and just 
bit the bullet. And I don't like change. I'm not a, I'm not someone that just, you know, can pack up and move like that. Um, but I did it. And I've always said I, I wanted to go to Nashville. I didn't, I almost came to Belmont for college, wanted to do that, but I ended up going to university, which was great. Had a great time, but I've always wanted to be here. I only visited once. Second time I visited, I moved all my stuff up here. Uh, I moved into my buddy's basement uh, out in Antioch. And, um, you know, long story short, he housed me for a minute. Then I got my own apartment, got on my feet, uh, started a, a full-time job here and just playing music, playing on Broadway. You know, I wasn't writing or anything like that. And my buddy that I moved in with, he was like, man, you need to start writing. He's like, you're up here now. You need to start getting connected with people. Let's start writing. So I did, man, and I haven't stopped and, and ended up getting enough songs to, to uh, two years later, two and a half years later, getting my EP started uh, with producer Jay Took that I met too through someone and um, through a buddy. And uh, he really just transform those songs into you know what the ep is but to answer your question yes i moved up here to play music i didn't necessarily move up to be a sing to be a singer songwriter uh but it's it's morphed into that and uh the connections i've made you know with ben and, and other artists as well and getting right with brent and um just it's been surreal and it's been awesome and looking forward to uh the full-length album that i'm working on now so when you say that you weren't a songwriter i'd written one song before i moved to nashville and now you've written how many? Oh, man. I mean, probably 60, 70 under my belt in, in the four years that I've yeah. been here. And obviously those are co-writes. Yeah. Some of them are, are, are Some solo. Of them. Yeah. So a song like um, In the Name of Love that's on the new EP, you pin this when a co-writer, or is this a song you did on your own? The In the Name of Love song, it was, uh, it was actually, that was, we had the most writers on that one. It was four writers on that one. I love that song. Awesome. But how do you know when the song's done? That I've always asked myself with songwriters, like whether it's you or listening to any song, like how do you know when it's done? Is it a hard thing to put a stamp on? Because I've heard some songwriters go, oh, wrote that in 20 minutes on, on a couch, you know, and it was you, done. You know when you know. You just know. You know. I mean, that's uh, because of you. One of the shortest songs on, on the EP that I have. One of the most heartfelt songs. I always knew it wasn't done. It wasn't done until I actually went through that portion of life to write that third verse. I was in a very, very dark time in my life. You know, I just moved up here. I was, you know, just going crazy. And I was in my feelings, sat on the edge of my bed, literally wrote what came to mind, put the guitar down, worked on it a couple of times, brought it up in a couple of rights. No one ever, you know, really never hit with anyone. Then I got into, you know, three years later, I got into a relationship and I picked that song back up and I was in a different state of mind and I was able to write two and a half years later, I was able to write the third verse and complete the song. I knew it was done. There was no question about it. Now, when you say you're up here in a dark part of your life, yeah. were you scared? Yeah. Oh, of course. Were you lonely? Yes. Were you depressed? Yes. All of the above. So you're 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 a young man, you're talented, you're educated, you're a hard worker, you're raised right, but you still have all these emotions because of this city. Because this city will get you. Oh, hundred percent. Does it still get you now? Even though you might not be in the darkest of spots, you got a, a relationship, you said, you're singing, you're meeting band, all these songwriters. Does it stay? Does it have a tendency to go back there once in a while? I think I get me more than the city gets me. You know what I mean? It's it's me being in my head about a lot of things that are going on. One of the rules I made to myself whenever I moved to Nashville and, and got, you know, three years under my belt, started really, really pushing my original career, started pushing my brand, pushing who I was. One of the biggest things I told myself, man, was mind your business. It's going to get you the furthest. Mind your own business. And by that, I, I tell myself that daily looking at someone else's progress, looking at someone else to where you perceive that they are because of social media, where you perceive that they are because of this and that, their streams on, you know, it's so easy to see everything that you, you know, I can pull up Spotify and tell you how many streams somebody has on one song. That's easy to see. And yeah, I could look at that and I could be discouraged as hell about it, you know, but I have to remind myself all the time, man, mind your business, stay in your lane and focus on not just the big goal, but the stepping stones along the way to get there. Because one thing that I've really, really found that is uh, that helps me with being successful in in my you know definition of being successful is really following those stepping stones, not just leaping for that goal. You know, the end goal of whatever it may be. I want to you know sell out an arena. I want to play. You know, I want to start selling selling out venues around here. Like whatever it may be. Celebrate the small victories, celebrate the small stepping stones, make big deals out of them, show that gratitude towards it. And before you know it, those stepping stones have led to what you 
generally want in life. And, and I, I say that that's true and I say that that works because it's worked for me so far as far as, you know, following those and really celebrating those to open that up to more and more of those smaller victories. Let me ask you this. One of the things that I've heard about your reputation is that you're a very nice person. I also hear this about Brent Cobb a lot, that he's a very nice person. Very down to earth. First thing Sweet T said about Brent Cobb, just down to earth, easy to talk to, even with his success. I agree with that, yeah. When you're going through those dark times, and I know Brent's been there. Brent's educated me on what it means to be depressed and lonely and not being afraid of the dark, even though you shouldn't be ashamed to be afraid of the dark because we all get in that dark spot once in a while. How does a man or woman in their mindset, Charlie Argo, educate me on this? How do you stay nice? How do you stay optimistic to some, to where you don't let that angst or that angriness come out and maybe potentially take it out on somebody or let it get to the point to where you turn into a, a an asshole? You know, it happens, right? It's happened right. to me before to where I let it go too far to where you let it change the person that you were raised to be and the way your mom and dad brought you up. Because of not staying in your lane, under saying, oh, my gosh, I'm not where I need to be or I'm getting beat or my competition's better than me. or right. Why is he getting all the deals and why is she mo- so much more prettier on social media than me? We all face it. How do you stay nice? How does a person wake up and just still continue to treat everybody <laughs> with the respect that they deserve? Because I think that that's a big part of staying in your lane and minding your business and respecting people and treating them the right way. Right. I agree with you. And it, and it goes back to first grade when my teacher had it written above the chalkboard, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we had to recite it every day. And that stuck with me. And that's such a cliche thing to say, but it's so true. You know, I, I want people to be nice to me. I've always been that, you know, type of emotional type person to where like, you know, I just, I, I would get in my feelings really bad when someone would say something or, or this and that. So I always sought after just you know, trying to be nice to people, just giving to them what I would want in return at all times, no matter the circumstance of what's going on, man. Life's a life's a gift. It truly is. And you ask, like, you know, what what kind of makes you shine the light through depression or, or anything like that? It's it's a mindset. Everything that I talk about, it's always going to be that. It, and it's something that I've had to train my mind to do because I have dealt with depression uh, severely, you know, it, runs in the family, quote unquote. But, you know, I, I feel like that you can beat that. I feel like that there are ways to beat that by exercising your mind, exercising things like that. But to know that life is a gift, it truly is. And whenever you you wrap your mind around that, that life is given to us, you know, that that changes a lot of things. That changes a lot of outlook on the little small things that you worry about, the little small things that you get, get anxiety about and just puts it in a whole different whole different light, especially to me. So do you, when you think about that saying of staying in your lane, I've known artists that have actually had to delete an account because they did not want to continue to look at it. Mm -hmm. That's one way to stay in your lane is to quit looking at it, quit believing the hype. Everybody's living their best life and smiling and everybody's an influencer and an ambassador and they're doing this on social medias and streaming and being able to see the downloads. It's changed the game. Um, Do you find yourself chasing the dream, or and when you say staying in your lane, Charlie Argo, do you mean that you wake up every day with a short-term goal, and you're gonna? When you said stepping stones, is another way to say that a short-term goal, and you're gonna knock that one off of the list, and you're gonna continue to climb. Do you find yourself ever losing patience? Still, do you ever go, "Oh my God, something's got to happen"? Do you ever get in a hurry? Of course, I'm a human, so. I do. And whenever I first started this, like I told you, the journey of just doing my original thing, I uh, um, started out when I moved here. I started working for Walmart and I was a a manager in the store, assistant manager in the store. I got promoted a year and eight months later to having 21 stores here in town. So I was running 21 stores, the fresh areas of 21 stores here in town and also doing my music on the side. I got displaced from my job this past July, this past summer. When I when I did, um, my buddy that I told you I moved in with when I first moved here, he's now my manager, and uh, his name is Sean. And whenever I lost my job, me and Sean were kind of sitting around. He's like, well, man, you ready to do this music thing? I was like, well, I got anything else to do right now. So, yeah. He's like, let's do it. He said, we're going to treat it like a business. He's like, 
you're used to getting up and you're used to being on phone calls at 8 a.m. So we're going to get up and we're going to get on a phone call every morning at 8 a.m. So what we did, man, is we built a team. We built a team with a social media person, you know, everything that you you need to to help out. And it just happened to be that it was just great friends of mine that really, you know, believe in what I'm doing and and just really hope that one day it'll, it'll all kind of come back around um, and I take care of when I can and this and that. But anyways, we we started literally treating it as a business. And whenever I say that, you know, those little stepping stones, we, we write them down as an agenda for the day, for the week, for the month. We have a 30, 60, 90 day plan. I know what I'm going to be posting on social media in 90 days because of the plan that we put down for that. We put the, you know, as it gets closer to that 30 day mark, we get more specific with those, you know, those, those things that we're going to post or the things that we're going to do or where we want to be. We have goals that we want to be. We want to be to this many followers and this amount of time. And that really kind of takes away from the worry and the anxiety and, and what you said about getting discouraged about it. It takes away from that because I always have something to look forward to. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So that really helps out a lot. So when you're treating it like a business and you have a chain of command, you have accountability, you have goals, you have an ROI now to look at. Like we're going to invest this much time in it. We're going to figure out, you know, where is our ROI, when is our ROI going to come? The timeline is very important. Everything in life is timing, right? If you think about it, the timing is going to really set the precedence of what happens when, obviously. And um, it might not be the right time for this song right now, but it could be the right time for a live video to go out. It could be the right time for exactly. a, 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 you to go give a speaking engagement. And that's the thing about what I like hearing what you're saying is that it's, it is a business. It's in a lot of things in life. If you structure it like that, life is hard. And then you it mix is. on top of that, trying to live a dream. This is a dream life. I told the Sweet Tea Girls, like being a country music or a Southern soul music star is a hard goal to achieve. It's a dream. You're exactly right. So let me ask you this, Charlie Argo. When do you know you've achieved it? What is the end game? Do you have to have that Grammy in your hand? Do you have to sell out 10,000 seats or is 1,200 okay? Is 40 okay? Is just is just a few downloads okay? When you're trying to develop revenue and you have this team, there's artists out there that have put together 100, 150-man crews on concert tours and management and, you know, the roadies and guitar techs and sound techs and audio video and all of that stuff. There's artists that employ a lot of people pre-COVID. A lot of them lost it in COVID, which shows you that you can't take it for granted. And right. we got humbled pretty good in that in the last year. But when do you know? know that you've made it or what is the end game you know you asked is 40 seats the end game is it you know whatever is an arena and the answer is yes that's those stepping stones that 40 i've made it you know i've made it to that what's next what's next in that 90 day you know mindset you know what what's next for me once i make it i make it again and i make it again and i never stop making it you know so i i really Honestly, I don't I don't have an end goal in mind to walk up on stage and get a Grammy. That's a stepping stone to me. You know, I mean, the sky's the limit. People have reached it. People have reached, you know, maximum of what they could ever do, man. It's like see people like Luke Holmes and stuff just busting out. And then, I mean, he's at the top of the game, you know, beating records that Garth Brooks set that I didn't think anybody could ever, you know, beat. Morgan Wall and all them now that are doing that. And it's just like in such a short period of time, too. But putting yourself out there, man, and, and just – like I said, I, th- I think those 40, 40 seat venues selling that thing out is 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 a stepping stone, and that is that is an end goal for me. You know, not end per se, like the dead end, but you know that's a that's an end goal for me. Is is that that one moves on, and then we we move forward. Uh, but you mentioned COVID, like humbling us out. But what a what a weird thing. You know, COVID happened last year. You know, I was starting to establish this brand. I couldn't get out and tour on my EP or do anything like that, but it's allowed us to get creative about what we're doing. I mean, you know, things like this podcast and stuff like that, I mean, people are listening to these things and, and, and circulating them around and able to do video and live stream. And, and it's amazing. And it's really kind of taught people you have made, you shut down the country, but you have made people like ourselves, creative people be creative. What have you done? Like, I I can't wait to see, you know, what blooms out for the rest of this year and the years to come because of this past year and what happened. You know, so where what would you tell me a Charlie Argo stage show looks like in 
let's say two years from now, what am I going to see when I curtain is pulled back? Is it a stand-up bass? Is it <laughs> is it a piano? Is it uh, is it a steel? Is it is it backup singers? Is it a drummer and a great percussion session? What do I what what can I expect to see? What you when you look at that blank Envision, canvas yeah. and you envi- and you start throwing your oils at it and you want to create your masterpiece of just your stage. What's it going to look like? I run a six-piece band right now, and that's uh, that's organ, piano, in one. Um, slide guitar. I have an electric guitar player, uh, just regular lead. I play acoustic and a bass and a drummer. I would love to add horn section, and I would love to add backup singers, for sure. So that would be my, my dream stage, would be that. A horn section with at least three different horns, trombone and trumpet and saxophone. And then, uh, I mean, I'm talking like Almond Brothers style, you know, stage setup. So it's like a really jam band, would... soulful jam band, yeah. but with... Yeah, but just that, I mean, the feeling that just takes you to church. Let me ask you about another band of your opinion on the Zach Brown band, Georgia-based band. Unbelievable band with 14 or 15 number ones. Great originals. Unbelievable at covers right but when you said that what you just said about you know that that you know when i've seen some of their their live shows amazing musicianship and choreography and everything that goes into it are you a fan of that style of music and what because when you when you like read or the history of that band and what zach did and how they came about same way you know they're just putting themselves out there and then boom, there's, they set the record for selling out Fenway Park three nights in a row, right? Right. right. That's 120,000 people, 40 a night. What d- does that drive you? I know that you're staying in your lane, but there's got to be influence, right? Oh, yeah. And when I say stay in my lane, I, I'm talking of people that I put on the same level as myself. You know what I mean? I mean, there there comes to there comes a time where I look at somebody like, okay, you know, they're, they're at a totally different level. I'm not trying to compare to that yet. You know, and I'm not trying to compare to anyone right now, but it happens because, you know, just human about stuff. But, uh, man, yeah, love Zach Brown Band. And, and one, you you know, you talk about their covers. One of my favorite covers that they do is Can't You See on that. Oh. I think it's a Passage R album that they did. And uh, it's just incredible. But they're able to do that. The band that they have, they're, they're just so versatile in what they can do with the fiddle and, and all that is, is just incredible. But, yes, I, I do um, lean lean towards that, that setup for sure. That setup. And vocally, what is your background? You said you were singing in some bars down mm-hmm. in Alabama around the college town. Are you trained? Are you? Did you have a vocal coach? No, I never have. I, I still think. Did somebody think just to tell you that, that you I, sound that good when you wrong. sing? Man, I'm not gonna lie to you. This is uh, whenever I grew up in the church singing, so I was in a children's choir, and um, you know, just always had that that child's voice I, you know every kid to me can sing like it's just a you know you put 10 kids together they sing together it, it sounds like kids singing you know one day I was uh man I was probably you know eight or nine years old and we had this play and there was a, a solo that came up and I just remember listening to the cd put it in and and the way the plays worked when we were in children's choir was you got a book and you got a cd the choir director said, all right, go home, listen to this for a couple of weeks. We're going to come back. We're going to start assigning parts. This is your speaking part. You know, this is your solo. This is this. And I would go home and I'd listen to it. Like, man, what, you know, what, what's good for me? There was this one song and uh, it was, it was one of the most soulful songs that I'd, you know, ever heard. And uh, I told my mom, I said, I want to sing, I want to sing that song. She said, well, we'll go back and you can tell her that that's the one you want to sing. So I did. And I, I kind of trained myself to sound like that person on, you know, on the tape. And that's kind of, you know, I, I did that for years. I, I would try my best to try to sound like people until I really found, you know, who I truly was. You know, I was playing covers for, for years. I mean, my, some of my biggest influencers, Greg Allman, one of the biggest, um, Sam Cooke, Otis Redding, uh, some of the greats from, you know, the Motown era and all that as well. Uh, that Muscle Shoals sound too is just huge for me. I mean, getting into people now, Travis Tritt, um, grew up on him as well. And it's just, uh, just have a, you know, a plethora of people that I've kind of incorporated into my voice and the way that I say things and the way that I sing things. And I've, I've taken from me trying to sound like somebody singing a song to incorporating the way that I say certain words in my songs. That's made me who I am right now is as complicated as that was. (laughs) 
No, I think it's great. That, that makes sense. No, it makes no. I was not vocally trained though. I, you know, it, I was trained by my influences on how to. You know, John Mayer is a big influence of mine, and I think mm-hmm. I, you know, I enunciate words kind of like he does because I, you know, he got me through a lot of things, and I, I hear him playing in my head. I listen to him so much, you know, middle school and things like that. So it's just, I don't know, just a lot of things that I've incorporated from other people. How old are you, Charles? Twenty eight. 28 and you've been in nashville for four years mm-hmm. almost five yeah five years this year i asked the sweet tea girls this before you got here um your parents this is a pipe dream to them or they're supportive as heck tell you this um my parents got divorced when i was two years old you know my dad uh lived down south alabama so kind of travel to see him once twice a month type thing uh, grew up in with my mom. She raised me and my brother uh, in pretty conservative home. Uh, you know, went to church anytime the doors were open. They're washing windows on Tuesday. We're going to go watch them wash the windows type thing. And, uh, you know, we'd go to my dad's house and it was, you know, totally opposite thing. You know, my dad was kind of, he was living the, the bachelor life and, and, and doing his thing. So it was, uh, I, I kind of had the, you know, best of both worlds um, growing up. When I say that to say this, um, you know, Parents being supportive, my, my mom has always been supportive in anything that I did um, as far as, you know, being in the bar scene in college and, and playing the music that I was playing and being in the atmospheres that I was being, you know, wasn't very supportive in, in what I was doing and the lifestyle I was living and, and things like that. Um, my dad just kind of always been been along, you know, rooting rooting for that. But once again, my mom was supportive in anything that I wanted to put my mind to. You know, I'm not saying she didn't support me, um, but now it it's it's equal parts. I feel you know pursuing a dream of mine. Um, of course, you know your parents want you to be you know stable and and financially well and and this and that and normal and or quote unquote status quo normal of going to college and, and doing this. And, you know, I've had to have conversations with my parents and it's people don't stick in jobs 30 years like they used to. I had to have this conversation with my granddad not too long ago when I lost my job. I said, son, what you going to do? What are you going to do about that insurance and this and that? And you need to get your job. You can stick in and, and for the long haul. And I said, granddad, you don't understand. I said, I've got friends that work from their phones. As hard as that is for you to fathom that, you know, it's it's such a, a different time. People don't work at Regions Bank and First Alabama Bank like you did for 30-something years, you know. It, it's just a different time and place, and people are, you know, hop jobs. It's a thing now. And then you throw people COVID get tired on top of, of that, and you got all yeah, these offices exactly. closing down. Everybody's We're working, working from home. home. Yeah, so home. it's just like whatever. But to answer your question, yes, family does support it. Is this, you know, something that, you know— they would love to see me excel at yes because they want to see me be happy and they ultimately know that that would make me the happiest for sure so you got the shirt you got the unbutton you got the hair you stay in good <laughs> shape you're a good looking guy thank you man aesthetically is important aesthetics are important in this business i want you to answer this in a way of in a two part question is are you vain because there is that song about you so this song is about you mm-hmm. vanity's big in life oh yeah you take care of yourself for a reason in this game. Everybody calls it the Tim McGraw effect. You know, I've heard people refer to it as like what Tim looks like now. People yeah. are like, uh, you know, you want to stay, you want to have a long career, you got to be healthy. You gotta. But there is also the part of this city and this lifestyle that you kind of mentioned just a second ago that your mom might not have supported your locations or the habitat or the environment that you were playing in. Did this city right here get you? Because this city seven nights a week has a way of getting you now it, it's up to the musician it's up to the artist to control this and discipline themselves all right especially when you don't have the management you don't have the agent you know if you you're, you're just now starting you gotta there's a lot of stuff you gotta learn on your own did you fall into that trap of broadway on friday and midtown on thursday and the gold John? did you did you party a lot here do you party a lot is it a part of the lifestyle that you've accepted or do you have to hone that in and be like, look, there's a time and a place for that. I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna have fun and enjoy myself, but I am gonna work out. I am gonna take care of myself. I do want to be alive until I'm 90, and I do want to have a long <laughs> career, right? As long as my right. mind's there, right. I want to be healthy. How do you look at stuff like that? Man, I dealt with confidence issues my whole life. You know, confidence in myself, confidence in the way I looked. Um, you know, and moving to Nashville really kind of changed the game for me. 
in part because I was always in long-term relationships in a relationship before I left Alabama, I was 220 pounds when I left Alabama. Um, and you know, that was due to partying scene and just not sleeping right. And, and just being completely unhealthy college kid, you know what I mean? And, uh, so I moved up here. I got my job that I was working at and I decided, you know, okay, I'm up here. I'm single now. Uh, you know, I need to be getting in shape, not only for that, but I need to start working on my confidence and who I am. And, uh, that was, that was huge for me. And as a man, I think that's a, that's a big, you know, kind of defining moment whenever you're, it's just you and yourself and you're telling yourself like, Hey, I need to, you know, figure out who I am. I need to, you know, feel better about myself. I want to be able to walk into a room and, and, you know, and, and not worry about how I look or anything. I want that to be behind me. So I started making steps to that. Yes, this town is is a party town. Can you get lost in this town in the party? Yes, you can. I have. I've done it. Um, there is a time and place where you have to kind of snap out of that. I mean, it, it can still, you know, people people call you all the time. Hey, man, I'm in town. I'm coming into town. Where are you at? Dude, you're up here long enough. You're going to have people doing that every week, especially before COVID happened. I mean, it was every weekend. I would get a message from somebody I hadn't talked to in seven years. Hey, buddy, we're coming up. It's like, I didn't even know you were 21 now. I was like, <laughs> but cool, but come on up. I mean, I'm not going to meet you, but have fun. You know, I, I can't, you know, it, it come. I have FOMO more than anybody I've ever met in my life, know. man. I, I can't, I, I can challenge I can't you do dude. it. You know, it's, it's so hard for me and my, me and my girlfriend, you know, we, we battle that too about talking about that. And it's like, geez, like sometimes I literally lay in my bed, just like buzzing off of FOMO, like, of, I know I don't need to be out. No, I don't need to be out. What if I miss out of this, this, that, this, what that? If the door could open tonight? Ben and them were out the other night, and and uh, him and Jay FaceTimed me. Man, that just that killed me because I knew I had to be at work the next day, and I couldn't do that. And I was like, I, I just can't. I can't do it. And I, I taught myself out of it. And then the next day, I see all this stuff that happened, and I'm like, gosh, I should have done it. Just one of those times that I actually should have. But, uh, man, yeah, it's it's a balance. It's, it's part of the mental thing that I was talking about earlier. And truly, if you want it, you'll make it happen. If you want, you know, the, to, to look the part, you'll make it happen. And, and I do believe that, that it is a thing here in, here in town. Everybody kind of has their, their own look, but you know, it's, it's been cool for me to be able to, you know, Brent has the long hair and, and, you know, the, the, the look that he has. And, you know, I have the curly hair that, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's something different. And, uh, it, I was able to kind of create a brand around that and people, People tell me all the time, like, hey, man, I, I saw a guy look just like you the other day. I said, what, do you have curly hair? Yeah, man, like you did. Like, <laughs> that's it. Just curly, you know, but it's like just kind of set that uh, that standard kind of myself, if that makes sense. Uh, I, I got it in my mind that I wanted to feel good about myself and, and put that out there. You call it vain, call it whatever you want. It makes me feel good about myself. And that's all that truly kind of matters to me, you know. So I hope that answered that. 100%. I just, I, all, I often think about my life because you know you travel to north dakota next week for a duck camp and i've been in montana to duck camp and before montana the people in montana were saying can't wait for you to get here looking forward to it but i was already on this party in california duck camp so by the time i get to north dakota they're ready because they've been looking forward to it and, I'm sitting, and it's the same theory <laughs> you're talking about right it's like man sometimes oh, man. you just have to let out and be like look i can't do it but yep. then you'd start talking about fomo which is the fear of missing out in case yeah. any listener doesn't know what Charlie was referring to. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. But it's no, it's like, man, what doors could I have opened tonight? What if I don't go? What if somebody's there? What? And it's like that. Then you start dealing with all of that, that nightlife part of it. And what Willie Nelson wrote and sang about, you know, those guys were those guys partied a lot. And I, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Willie's almost 90 years old. Waylon died pretty young. Um, there is a part of this, though, that. Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. Could <laughs> you do it without that, though? Because that rock star lifestyle, that country music lifestyle, it's fun, man. This town is fun. We were at Losers last night, and I was just looking around going, God dang, it's fun here. I don't have anything like this where I live. Yeah. Nothing. And this, if I lived here, I would. I, I, I often think of our, my, our good friend Leith Lofton. Is like, Leith <laughs> used to go out all the time. He never goes out anymore. Yeah. You love Leith. He's awesome, right? Talented too, right? Yes, he is. But I just often think of my mindset of how I, if I lived in Nashville, it'd probably be like anything else to where it's just Nashville to the people that live here. It is. But when you haven't been here in a year, a good year since COVID started, I hadn't been here since February of 2020, right before COVID started. And it was a blast then and I couldn't wait to get back. And then last night, or I should say this morning, I woke up and went, damn, I got got Nashville. I got it. (laughs) 
it got, I could, I, I think that you have to discipline yourself because it'll eat you up. And I've seen artists that just, that don't adapt to it very well and let it get to them. And get sober. Well, yeah. <laughs> they got to get right. Yeah. No kidding. When you start, when you start thinking about, um, that, that, the part of it that we, that, you know, the, the vanity part of it and the city part of it, and the discipline part of it, you've already mentioned that this is a business to you. Do you, do you get, I want to, I want to make sure that I word this in the right way. When you, when you start to think about the possibilities, what can happen? Have you battled ego at all on the other side of the spectrum? Cause you already said that you battled confidence issues with your appearance and right. being overweight at one time and not being able to walk into a room feeling good about yourself. Now that you are in good shape and you do have an EPL or you do have a, a publishing deal and all of the things that you've accomplished, does ego ever play a role in this or ever get in Charlie Argo's way? Of course it does, you know, and, and I think it, it, it does for a lot of artists, but I'll tell you one thing that ego really got in the way of for me is truly finding who I was as an artist, finding out who I was as, as an artist. Now the ego part doesn't, you know, affect it as much, but the ego got in the way of me trying to figure out who I was, you know, comparing myself to other singers, like trying to say, Oh, I want to sound like this. I want to sound like this. Like, I, I think I'm, you know, feel like I'm better than that or, or this and that, man. Once I finally solidified who I am as an artist, kind of set myself in that box of genre of, of Southern soul. Um, now, man, the, the ego thing is, it's, Seriously, it's not not as much. Um, you know, obviously, you know, kill a show, you killed it, you feel like you killed it. But as far as just walking around with a with a big head, I mean, my hair can't get any bigger. So uh, no, not not as much anymore. Now that I've kind of found who I am. And who do you, do you think that at twenty eight you got to be approaching the next stage of your personal life too? I talked to the Sweet Tea Girls a little bit about this. Decisions. They're so young. But that's a timing again. Now you have a girlfriend. I don't know if you're in love, but you might be. You're, you're a guy that believes in romance. I can tell by the way you write songs. Right. Kids are a natural next step. Marriage is a natural next step. But at the same time, all of that, and what I was talking to the Sweet Tea Girls is that at 24, 22, and 22 years old, I'm like, a lot of Southern girls are married by that time, right? And having kids. And they even said that a lot of their friends had went that route. But now at 28... Do you start getting that kind of pressure from whether it's the family or her family? Do you see that as a natural progression in this? Because that is naturally going to slow things down professionally. If you, you know, if you're, it just happens with kids and marriage and all of that. There's other sacrifices or there's other responsibilities that come with that part of it. When it, when you go from ego, now you start talking about greed, where some of us have been caught in that greedy stage of our life of like, just give me another year. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. How do you look at that? Because now you could take the chance of missing out on that part of your life. And I'm not saying that you need to be in a hurry to have kids. No, Don't get man, me wrong. But it. it's a decision, right? I get it. It's a decision that I think about every day. Um, you know, that man, you nailed it. That is a that is a tough. My girlfriend, I'm in a uh, pretty great circumstance. My girlfriend's got two kids. Uh, she's got two two kids that are, you know, in their teens right now. Um, you know, so that's something obviously, you know, we, we talk about, you know, we talk about the next step, but something we also talk about, man, is, is COVID didn't also change things, but time is changing things and, and goes back to what I was talking about, about the job situation, talking to my grandfather, you know, naturally you think, oh, you, you finish high school, you go to college, you, you get married, you have kids, you do this, that, this, that, that's, you know, that's steps that, that are kind of placed on us because that's the way that you're supposed to live life. Um, I think if you take that aspect out of it, it's a lot easier to to be 28 and and think to yourself, hey, I got two more years before I'm 30. I need to either figure this music thing out or, or figure out my full-time career or, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's that's what drives that anxiety. That's what drives that that depression and, and things that I spoke about earlier is that constant fear of tomorrow, the constant fear of next year, the constant fear of two years from now, where am I going to be instead of truly, truly focusing on it right now. And, and this, is that real? Yes, that's real. I'm going to think about it. Um, it's something I think about a lot, but it's uh it's more of a mental thing too, that I've just had to, to train and, and tame myself about. 
that just to to know like no i don't have an end goal at like hey if i don't make it in music by 33 i'm gonna go do this you know i i just i try not to think that far ahead now i've always been a, a one that thought along down the line and and i realized that that's what you know caused a lot of my but also do you want to have kids when you're 45 or do you know i don't want to have, have kids when i'm 45 so the question lies is, do you ever find yourself saying, I just need to, I'm going to make that decision soon. And you mentioned the age of 30, which I didn't have kids until I was 33, 34. Um, but it's real. Like that's that, that whole mindset it to is a man right. is you, you have fatherly instinct. Like you do want kids, but you also, and I talk about this a lot. Charlie Argo, and I, maybe someday you'll write a song on this because I think about this word a lot. I'll write it down. I, I think about this a lot. Like my mind is flooded with thoughts about individuality. And where I'm going with that is that a lot of the times in our lives, we lose our individuality because of a relationship, kids. None of this is to the negative. I love my, my daughter is my life. Everybody that knows me knows that Alyssa is my number one. She is my life, right? So but I've never let Alyssa get in the way, which she never would, of what I wanted to achieve in life. Because I was also put on this earth, just like Alyssa was brought into my life. She's going to achieve a lot of goals in her life. Right. I'm still achieving goals. So that word individuality is always in my mind, Charlie Argo, because I think people start living for this and just this. And they're like, they look back and they're like, dang it, man, I was supposed to do some shit too. I was, and I'm not saying that marriage isn't the greatest thing on earth. And I'm not saying that a family of five with a white picket fence isn't the greatest thing on earth. It is awesome. <laughs> yep. But I see a lot of people that stop doing what they were meant to be doing because they go, they put all their eggs in that basket. Does that make sense to you? Like I think about individuality a lot and how easy it is for us to lose it when we were also put on this earth yep. to, to achieve yeah. things. It is a, it's a. It, man, that is a struggle for sure. And I, I get a, what you're saying 100%. It's it's cool too that, you know, my girlfriend, she truly supports everything that I do. And we, we talk about this a lot and talk about, you know, further and on. She, you know, tells me all the time. It's like, I don't care, you know, what you do, be happy. That's, you know, the ultimate goal because us being happy, you know, separately first and then sharing that happiness together is ultimately how a relationship, you know, is going to is gonna work and, and proceed on. Um, but man, I just... I don't know. Yeah, I think about that a lot. That's that's a hard one. Individuality is a very tough word to define of who we are because and I what we let come in between. Yes, 100%. And yeah. it's almost like did my dad do that because I look back before my dad passed and I'm like, "Well, holy shit, he's talented as hell, but everything that he did was about his three boys." Yeah. And thank God that he did because it helped us in our tra in our paths. But I look at him like, man, I wonder if my dad did everything that he wanted to do because he had us so young. Did he ever really live out what he was put on earth to do? Yep. And maybe he was put on earth to live, to raise three boys. You know what I mean? It's like a weird, I think, it's, it's yeah, a mindset to that. me. It's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a one of those things to where I, I, I find myself thinking like, am I supposed to be doing this or am I supposed to be married with four kids right now and live in that American life, you know, that American dream life dream. of the family and the picket fence? I don't know, because I have a lot of my married friends that come up to me and go, don't stop doing what you're doing. Oh, don't I stop do that all the time. They come to me all the time. Yeah. Don't give up. Not not that they're not happy with where they're at, but I always thought, man, my friends are going to look down on me because I'm not at all the family picnics. I'm not in the wrestling club with the son and the fathers. You know, that, that's how I grew up. I grew up in that atmosphere that family was everything. Right. You went to families for dinners. Well, now it's me and my daughter and I'm single. So it's just me and my daughter. And it's, I ask myself all the time, is this where I'm supposed to be? Or did I put my career too much before now here I am in my forties and I'm lonely. I don't know if that makes sense. And I'm not saying lonely in a sad way. I'm saying that naturally I get lonely because I, all, I, all I do is work, yep. you know, but that individuality kept me working. But it, I also failed at a you marriage. Sacrifice one for the other. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's almost like you just can't have it all. You can't. And uh, but I don't know. Maybe you can. Uh, well, let's think of people that do have it all. Who are they? Garth went yeah. through a divorce. Faith and Tim have it all. Do they? Yeah. I don't know. Um, are but they happy? I don't, don't know. know I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Is that there's a lot of artists and 
celebrities or professionals that we we all see it the divorces and it's all in the, it sucks that it is out in the public eye dolly parton's probably the only perfect one that i know of she is perfect. <laughs> she, she is, is perfect she is per- and she's never perfect. put her husband out there you know to let anybody know who he was or anything like that it's just i don't know she's everything so she awesome. did was just genius and great i just always ask myself charlie like if I think I've been thinking about this during this talk because of how we started it down this path. But I, I, I sit at night and the question I ask myself the most is, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Because if you look at it from the outside in, I, I've got a pretty good life. Yeah. I get to do a lot of cool things. But then uh, me looking outside from inside this life, I'm like, damn it, man. Ben's got MJ and they're riding the truck together, going to Louisiana together on a jet. To go ride. They get to hug each other on a, an airboat. And all I do is get to hug my shotgun. And it's a weird yeah. mindset because it's not like, oh, a pity party. It's just like, should I be concentrating more on that? And he knows, Ben knows, I struggle with this a lot because I'll meet a girl and I'll think, oh, yeah, this is the one. And then I always find a way to F it up. <laughs> right. And so I'll be honest with you. I work full-time job now. So it's literally that with me again. Like, I, you know, I told you I got displaced back in July. Six months went by. Now I'm back working full-time. So, yeah, I see it all the time. I see, you know, all these guys going out, well, we got to leave on Wednesday. we got a show this weekend, blah, blah, blah. We're going to hit two other venues this way that we can get exposure down through this state and do this. And it's like, damn, like, am I, am I doing the right thing? Like, you know, I'm able to fund my, my next album and, and do this and, and do that. But, you know, is it, is it worth that? Is it worth what I'm, the exhaust, exhaustion that I get from my job during the day and not being able to, you know, write that many days in the week or that many evenings in the week because I'm so tired from this job? I mean, it, it does. It wears on me, man. Like I, I left my job today, came here to do this podcast and then have a show tonight for four hours, you know? So it's like, it's just, I don't know. It, it comes to a point where you, you're like, do I sacrifice something for the other? But then I'm scared to do that. Because I'm scared of, you know, I don't know what, you know, not having the funds to be able to do this or not having that security blanket of, of this and that. And it's just, yeah, that's, that's a constant fear. That's what life is all and it's about. Exhausting. That's what that's <laughs> that's what being a songwriter and an artist and the sacrifice and uh, a, a worker and a dad and a mom and a boyfriend and all of the things that go into this thing we call life. And where I was trying to wrap this all back around to say this, Charlie Argo is that we have built a society now that we can critique whoever we want. We can judge whoever we want. We can say things without any accountability. We can message somebody that we think we know, that we really have no idea who that person is. We feel like we're part of The Rock's life because The Rock has a DM still on his Instagram. The Rock ain't going to call you back. And we've built this whole mindset that we have to keep up with the Joneses. We have to keep up with success. We have to have more. I was just in Georgia looking at my buddy's place and I'm very transparent about this kind of stuff. And I'm like, God dang it, man. I thought I was doing good. And the first (laughs) thing that went to my, the first thing that went through my mind was I didn't know any about, I didn't know any of this. I did not know that he had this. And you know why? Because the son of a bitch don't put it on social media. Yep. He didn't post a picture of that boat. And we got hacked. We got hacked nine months ago or something and lost like 7,000. Here I go with these terms of social media. Uh, Seven or 8,000 followers. We lost 4,600 posts of content on our Instagram page. Came back strong. I said, I are going to get, we got our account. I got a, I got a, What's it called? The hacker and what? The anti-hacker? Not the anti-hacker, but the other guy that hacks the hacker. <laughs> that guy. I found a hacker to hack this hacker. This hacker hacked this hacker and got my account back. No kidding. But the kid got me. He left six pictures in my uh, archives. You know how you can go to video yeah. archives, yep. story archives and archives? He had six pictures and I still have them in there. He left. All, he erased all my archives and left six pictures of himself smiling at me. And I was like, this little motherfucker, like I'll never find him. But what it taught me was Dang, we, I went on a, I went, I, so now we build it back up. We got, we've gained 17,000 followers or something since that we're working hard at it. But what it did to me is that it also, he also quit following all of my pages. So I was following a, like 1100 or something accounts. I follow 51 now and they're all my partners, you or whoever, musicians or whatever. Right. It's the best thing I ever did. What I mean by this is 
we keep, keep up with people without even knowing we're trying to keep up with people. And now people go, man, did you see that shit The Rock did? I go, no, what are you talking about? Oh, he did this. I go like, holy shit, I don't know. I have not heard Dwayne Johnson's name since we got hacked <laughs> because I don't have social media. Right. So what does that tell you? He's not on the And it team. was a subliminal thing anyway because you're just scrolling through it. All the it time. And, yeah. and now I don't know what Kevin Hart's doing and I don't give a shit what Kevin Hart's doing. <laughs> I don't know what The Rock's doing and I'm not, I don't, oh. I know he's a hard worker and I know that people are inspired by him, but I don't need The Rock to be inspired. You're able to mind your own business. My, and I can't brought this full circle. When you said that, that's what we need to do. Yep. That's how you build a career. That's how you become the the ultimate of yourself is by becoming one with yourself and being able to lay down at night and take that deep breath and knowing that your soul is filled with happiness is not comparing yourself because it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, the end of the day, that song that you sang to start this is as pretty, if not prettier than any song Luke Combs or Garth Brooks has ever sang. I'm not saying that they're not good. They're beautiful, too. But at the end of the day, it's all about timing and work ethic and treating people right to get that exposure needed to get there. Agreed. You can't take anything away from what Garth Brooks did. The man worked his butt off. He even took time away to raise his family, which is very admirable. He left for like 20 years and still came back and sold like 7.7 <laughs> million tickets no on one tour, right? So it all comes full circle to just stay in your lane, bro. I love what you started off with this. I think it's I think it's very well said and executed it the right way. I think that that's the best way you can carry out a plan. I truly do. Stay in your freaking lane. And that's what we did by not following these accounts. I just said we're going to do us. We are going it. we are going to do us. I think it makes total sense. Yep. I really do. I think that I really think that it's the best thing that I ever did was stop following so many people. That's awesome. I don't want to get hacked at all because we're working so hard on it too. But I get what you mean about that, about doing don't that. Get don't hacked. get hacked. You know, oh, it'll, 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 How do you keep from getting hacked? I mean, I'm not trying to get on a rabbit trail from that. Can you like, – Yeah, well, there's – there's uh, I can hook you up with my guy that did it. Yeah, please after, do. But it's, it's called like double and triple wall security. Wow. You know how I got hacked? I'm, I'm honest. I fell for it. I got duped. So we work with tons of people like yourself. So I'm constantly signing uh, authorization of publishing rights or or if you're allowed to use this song on this, you can use 30 seconds on that. So once in a while, we'll get a message from YouTube that says we, we're having an issue with publishing rights or, or authenticity of your, right. of your acknowledgement or permission to use this song. Okay. So I get this private message in Instagram that says copyright copyright uh, provisions and infringements have been executed by this account. I fell for it. I clicked on that because I'm thinking, oh, I'll just send them the note from whatever artist they're referring to so they don't rip my, so they don't think I'm ripping music off. And as soon as I clicked on that deal, dude, the next thing I know that like my first four posts were like an Eastern Indian guy standing next to a yellow Ferrari. And I was like, Man. oh my, and I couldn't, I'd erase it and another one would pop on. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just got duped. It was all my fault. Dang, but I thought man. I was just being legitimate, like right. trying to follow the rules. You're going through the motions too of what you're, yeah, yeah what you're used to. And they doing. got me. They got me. But man, I enjoyed this, dude. Me too. I'm man. proud Thank for you. Thank you for having me, Chad. Appreciate it. Let's so do it much. again. Yep. I love your music. Thank you. Which one do you want Thanks to go out listening. on? Thanks for listening. Uh, Which one do you feel like? Hmm. Let's do something a little upbeat because we started off. I think our conversation kind of followed Tennessee Will. I yep. really do. I think that we stayed in that state of this is real life. Now get us fired up for a Saturday night, or is it Friday night? Friday night in Nashville. I don't even know what day of the week it is. What do you got? I'm going to go out with this, Charlie. Do a Harder. song called, uh, this This is not on the EP. This hopefully is going to be on the uh, the next full-length album. A song called Whatever It Takes. Hold on one second before you go into this. Whatever It Takes, Charlie Argo. You can find Charlie Argo on Instagram. At Charlie Argo. Charlie Argo, yeah. A-R-G-O. This is the man. I'm telling you, when he says Southern Soul, it's a pretty good box to be in. I kind of want to be in a box that says Southern Soul. <laughs> I love the South. I often refer it's to fun, myself, man. Charlie, as the adopted son of the South. There you go. I tell people it's the best place on earth. I've been to Europe. I've been all over South America and Canada and all over. And the Southern, Southeastern part of the United States is the best place on earth. The food, the people, the hunting, the fishing, the outdoors, I love it. So at Charlie Argo, website? CharlieArgo.com, CharlieArgoMusic.com. It'll all take you to the same place. Tour Find dates. Merch are, there, everything there. Yep. So support this man's merch. 
get a ticket when he comes close to you. Travel within, I think Tinder is 100 miles. So do a Tinder <laughs> date with Charlie Argo. Be willing to travel up to 100 oh, miles to see this man. And ladies, Megan that doesn't, be there too, that so doesn't so. mean a girl trying to get a Tinder date with this man. That's just, <laughs> use that as a reference. Megan will smoke you if you freaking try to mess with Charlie Argo. We're going to go out with a song. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast brought to you again by the one and only, I'm holding a bottle of the Foul Life Single Barrel Select Jack Daniels. Fancy. We are headed to Lynchburg, Tennessee, from Nashville, Tennessee, the day after tomorrow to chase turkeys with all of the heads of Jack Daniels. Can't wait to get there. Thank you, Jack Daniels, for supporting us. Thank you all so much for the downloads and subscriptions. Our podcast continues to rock it because of all of you continuing to like our diversity and guest topics, conversations. If you have anything you want to hear, DM us on Instagram or send us a message at info at thislifeaintforeverybody.com. I'm Chad Belling for Charlie Argo. We are going out with this song called Whatever It Takes. Whatever It Takes. Get to work, y'all. I'm taking me along slow boat to Carolina. Taking me along fast train to Baton Rouge I'm taking a yellow cab or bus to the big city Girl, whatever I can take to get me away from you Well, sometimes I think about all my decisions Yeah, girl, I think about what made this hard to do Cause I can't take it anymore Oh, I'm gonna get up off this floor Yeah, I'm gonna do what I can To get myself away from you Cause I'ma take me a long, slow boat To Carolina Taking me a long, fast train To Baton Rouge I'm taking a yellow cab or bus To the big city Yeah, girl, whatever I can take To get me away from you yeah, sometimes I think about all my decisions Girl, I think about what made this hard to do I can't do this all again Girl, I can't even be your friend I gotta go somewhere where nobody knows our names So I'ma take me a long, slow boat to Carolina Taking me along fast train to Baton Rouge Taking a yellow cab or bus to the big city Yeah, girl, whatever I can take to get me away from you I said, girl, whatever I can take to get me away from you true story. Damn it, boy. That's exactly what I needed to hear on this Nashville Friday night. That's Charlie Argo, y'all. Thanks for listening to This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast.